Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tron Conquest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz. Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Talk House Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. On this week's episode, we've got a musician and an actor who also both happen to host their own podcasts. Do they let just anybody do that now? Brett Miller and Busy Phillips. Miller is best known as frontman and primary songwriter for the Old 97s, a band that's celebrating its 30th year together in 2022, and which is at least partly responsible for the phrase alt-country coming into existence. But don't hold Miller responsible for lazy genre tags. He has written literally hundreds of incredible songs that transcend any pigeonhole you might want to shove him in. In addition to a dozen old 97s records, he's also put out eight solo albums, and he tours regularly both on his own and with the 97s. All that, and like I said, he's got a podcast. Wheels Off features Miller in conversation with other creative folks talking about creativity, kind of like the chat you're about to hear. Before that, check out a little bit of Go Through You from Rhett Miller's new solo album, The Misfit. I curse your name and kiss the ground Beneath the feet that walk on me Am I in love or in misery? They say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger I no longer find that to be true You can see why Miller has won some diehard fans, among them Busy Phillips, who was introduced to the world via the cult classic TV show Freaks and Geeks back in 1999. You've seen Freaks and Geeks, right? If not, please remedy that immediately. Phillips went on to a ton of other TV and film roles, everything from ER to Cougar Town to her own chat show to her current gig on the very funny Girls 5 Eva on Peacock. She's also built a passionate following by just being herself on the podcast Busy Phillips is Doing Her Best. If you've never heard it, you'll get a little taste of what it's like in this conversation with her friend, Rhett. The two are amazingly all over the place in this chat, talking about everything from why the Target stores in New Jersey are better than those in the big city, about how Phillips is dealing with her pandemic divorce, very well as it turns out, bad advice received from a genius, John Bryan, and how much fun it is to read ads for your podcast. I can relate. They also go deep in discussing the genius of Taylor Swift, which results in what may be a TalkHouse podcast first, real tears captured during an episode. It's a really great chat between two really charming people. Enjoy. Hi, this is Red Miller. Welcome to the Talk House. It's not Hi, my podcast. You just really, but you went for it. You just went like, <laughs> hey, Red Miller, thank you for joining me. Um, I'm Busy Phillips, and this is the Talk House. <laughs> What if the whole time we just fight over whose podcast it is? I mean, we both have done podcasts. We both are used to asking other people questions. So this feels like we should be able to do this. Do you remember that moment about five years ago when we got a memo that said everyone in the entertainment industry has to host a podcast? I do. I do. Yeah. I do. I, I pushed back for a couple of years, but... Now, this is what we do. I had one with Steve Agee a long time ago that was, at the, when we were doing it, was totally not monetized at all. And after like 25 or so episodes, I was like, Steve, I can't just do this for free anymore. I love hanging out with him, but I would rather just do that and not record if I'm not getting paid. And then he was like, oh, well, we just started getting offers for ads. What was, I remember when that was happening. What was that? It was called We're No Docs because Steve and I both 
are like a little bit hypochondriacs, but also like we've had like a lot of medical maladies, things happen to us. So we just would talk about, it actually was like very ahead of its time, like several years before the pandemic. And then we would have people on who'd like gone through some weird medical thing because everybody's got something, you know, and they would tell their tale and we would learn from it. But we weren't doctors, so we're not like diagnosing anyone or anything or even really ourselves, except we would just like talk about what was symptomatically wrong with us in that week. (laughs) It's funny, like that's what you want to make a podcast that's just a conversation you would normally have anyway. Yeah. Well, that's basically what my podcast is now. Are you still doing Wheels Off? I definitely am. And uh, I wonder if this counts as our wheels off interview. I mean, we've I've never done it. I know. I haven't harassed you enough. I never want to harass. It's funny. My podcast has never been properly monetized or monetized at all. But now that I'm saying this all out loud, I should probably look into this. But so many good things have come out of it that I've never regretted it. Like, I love meeting people that I don't already know, talking to people that I do already know, like the woman, uh, Ashley Longshore, the painter that did the cover for my new album. Yeah. I met her because I interviewed her and we hit it off. And a few months later, I was like, have you ever done an album cover? And she's like, no, I'd love to do that. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Where are you? You're in New York right now, right? Yeah. And that's funny. That's the first question I was asking my folks. For the edification of our listeners, from where are you joining? New York. New York City, in fact. The city itself. Um, I'm in the Hudson Valley, and it's incredible. As we tape this, it's middle of October. Yesterday was the best day, I think, of the leaf season. I can imagine. I thought about driving up there yesterday, and then I drove to Target instead in New Jersey. (laughs) Was that that teenager-driven, or was that self-motivated? No, it was child-driven. My nine-year-old was sort of demanding a Halloween excursion to a good, a quote unquote, good target. (laughs) Because, you know, the targets in New York City are like picked over and there's like barely anything in them and whatever. And they never do like the special displays and stuff. So you have you do have to go off the island for a good target. So Cricket just wanted to get some more things to like decorate the house because... It's kind of our first year in like a proper house here in New York City. And I think it's going to be kind of fun. Do you think you'll get trick-or-treaters? The rumor is that our street does get trick-or-treaters. Yeah. Are you going to dress up? Oh, I haven't thought that far in advance. Birdie, my 14-year-old, is going to be Queen Elizabeth Claire Foy. The Claire Foy (laughs) Queen Queen Elizabeth. So like young Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. And Cricket, the nine-year-old, is Dwight Schrute from The Office. And oh my God, Rhett, the costume is hilarious. Oh, I got to see it. I mean, you know, Cricket's a girl. For those of you listening who don't know my children. (laughs) Which is a small percentage. Yeah, I have two girls. Cricket, I bought like a little boy's suit online from Sears. Like a little brown suit and a little mustard short sleeve button-up shirt and a tie. And then... Their dad found on like Etsy or something, somebody made like a Dunder Mifflin badge. And so she's got the badge and the glasses and everything. It's really funny. You you must know Rain Wilson. Right? I do. Yeah. Forever. Does he know about this? I think I'm going to send pictures. That is like many, many years ago when Birdie and her little friend Sage in first grade, I think, or second grade, right when Hamilton came out, they were Eliza and Hamilton and I got to send it to Lynn. And that's like... So fun, you know. I love that. What about you guys? Wait, are your kids like 
a grown-ups now? What's happening? I just got back yesterday from visiting my son, Max, up at the University of Vermont. Oh, my God. He's in college. That's crazy. You're almost there, by the way. Oh, I'm fully almost there. Birdie's in, uh, going to high school next year. And depending on what happens, it's either going to be boarding school because Birdie really wants is very interested in this boarding school or an arts high school here in the city, which is like my dream. Yeah. Now, you started pretty early, but you didn't like go to an arts high school, right? I grew up in Arizona. Where are you from? The Midwest? No, Texas. Seventh generation Texan. Oh, wait, I did know this. Yeah. Me and, and remember, well, we've, we've bonded over Elliot Smith before. Right, right. And Elliot lived in um, Duncanville, which is a suburb of Dallas. And I grew up in Dallas. He didn't live there very long. He moved to the Pacific Northwest pretty quick. You do have hard A's, though, sometimes, right? 20 years ago, I married a girl from Ohio. So the flattened vowels. It's, yeah. I'm, and I'm such a sponge. I don't know if you do this. But I am, I'm, too. Okay, so I was just on a three-week tour with my old 97 bandmates, and I got back from that, and it was always talking like this, you know. It's an 8, 9, 10. Uh, you know, just everything turns Texas again. And then I get and then I get here and it's all flattened vowels. Well, I think there is something to people that have like a musical ear and being highly suggestible in the my kids always know when I've been on the phone with my parents because all of a sudden I'll be like very hard because my parents <laughs> were from Chicago and they like definitely have hard A's and stuff. And you're very musical. People might not know that about you. We've sung together. And I'm on a show now where I get to be musical. So I want to hear about this. I didn't yeah. even know that there was a new show. What is it? Oh, if Girls 5 Eva again? Girls 5 Eva. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Eva. What season is this? So we finished two. There's news about it, but I can't. I don't think I can say it yet. I don't know when this airs. All I have right. news about it. I'm looking. Let me look on my email and see if they've <laughs> told me. I'm not even kidding. Like, that's how it's been. You know, I know. what I mean? Like, I'm like... Any day now, I can say what's it, happening with the show, yeah. but it's very exciting. It's actually the most exciting thing. Oh, I know. I love it. I'm in a similar boat with the most exciting thing for me in the 97s right now, where any day I'll be allowed to announce this incredible news where I did some acting. And <gasps> you know what? It's hard. It's not it's so just keep not a to... straight face. Acting is hard. Oh, acting's hard? Yeah, no. it, you're great. I'm sure you're great at it. Well, thank you. But um, I wonder, like for you, how old were you when you started acting? And was it hard? No, it was never hard. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I mean, I have jobs certainly where it's where it's not easy. And and I take my job very seriously. I think I can come across as like very easygoing. And I'm I get really intense about work. And it's just not a thing that I think I project in my persona, my public persona, you know, like there are those actors who are like, that's a really serious actor. Yeah. You know, they talk about it like in very intense terms and they, you know, that they're, I, I do all that stuff, but I just am like, I, I kind of underplay it, I think. But I started professionally acting when I was a sophomore in college. And the very first job I had was a TV show called Freaks and Geeks. <laughs> which is insane. Like in retrospect, I don't know, man. It's crazy. Have you ever played a character where you feel so, the character is so different from who you are that it makes you feel like you're split, like it's cut, like breaking you in half? I mean, I did this, I did like an inde independent, I did a lot of like indie movies back in the day, like late 90s, early aughts. And I mean, I did this one that like now feels so 
just wrong. Wrong is, I guess, the only word I could because it was it's about a school shooting. And this was like 1999. Uh, yeah. You know, and it's about these two girls that like survive a school shooting and become friends. And then you find out that me, the character that I play, that he like they were maybe friends or he was maybe her boyfriend or something like they don't know. You don't know. And then you find out that she, that he told her, you know, it was like really intense Ugh. fucking really dark drama that we were shooting. It was me and Erica Christensen. And I mean, there were great people in it, Victor Garber and Holland Taylor. But I, that period of time, I was just very it was upsetting in my life. Like I was just I couldn't shake it. And I just was like sort of felt very heavy the whole time. And so maybe that's why I do comedies mostly. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I wonder if there's an analog between the way that you and I uh, pick up the accents of the people we're around. I wonder if it's a similar. Mm. Uh, Did you find that when you were acting uh, about in I, the thing that you can't talk about? It, it was pretty limited. The requirements on me were pretty small. And I, I was playing a character not that dis dissimilar to my myself right. in real life. I would imagine that maybe you're like a musician. Was your thing right around Columbine? Was it right before? Or it was it right after, actually. Okay. God, I'm just remembering that time when it was all so new and no one could imagine it. I mean, well, how dark that now it's normal. I, I just... I was remembering that in 1999, the old 97s had our first big major label radio single. And it was John Bryan. It was the, one of the first things I ever did with John was he played this really sweet keyboard part on a song of ours called Murder or a Heart Attack that was mm -hmm. on a record called Fight Songs. And the label was finally going to push this song. It was super catchy. It was a really fun song. Um, and it went to radio. And the first week that it was at radio, Columbine happened. Right. And, and look, I am not trying to say that that what I went through having my song uh, summarily dumped by every radio station in the wake of the Columbine disaster was even a footnote on that story. Of course. But it was such bad, such bad timing. I was like, are you, I wish now that I had called it something without the word murder in it. <laughs> There's been that kind of tie-in to movies and TV shows and music and stuff like forever, right? People like to point to our like pop culture as being, you know, the like a, a part of the reason why when it's like, guys, we could also just have reasonable gun laws. We could also <laughs> outlaw AK-47s. We could also make it like not so easy for 15 year olds to get their hands on guns. We could also like try to become a culture that's not obsessed with guns, you know, but sure, sure. Murder or a heart attack. Let's drop it off the playlist. Yeah. The media is so responsible for so much of the red herrings in our society, you know, and there are so many of them where it's like, guys, look over here, look over here. No, really look over here. And meanwhile, like, you know, the world is ending and all of these other things are happening, but people are like obsessed with, you know, I don't even know, like, I mean, pop culture, certainly like, don't worry, darling. Like, like did what's his name spit on What's his name? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, okay. But actually, Arizona just, you know, reinstated a pre-statehood ban on abortion completely. So still a war in Ukraine. Come on. Well, I've always admired about you, your activism. I really do feel like you put yourself out there more than more than pretty much anybody I know. Do you think that you've ever lost jobs or friends because of it? 
I don't know. I mean, maybe not. I mean, not friends. I wouldn't. <laughs> that wouldn't be even like a consideration for me. In fact, when we moved to New York, I did start doing a thing because, you know, New York is just so different, obviously, than Los Angeles and in so many ways. But when I was meeting new parents at my kid's school and trying to kind of like find new people, you know, new community, I remember having this feeling like a lot of these people are finance bros, like in the finance world. And I know what that means. Like they single issue voters and their issue is their money. And that's like not going to fly with me. And I had like a pretty like intense conversation with this couple that had invited, like our kids were friends and we went over there and I really liked them. But I just was like, before this, I literally said, I was like, before this goes any further, I need to just say something. I am not going to be able to have a real friendship with you if you're voting for Trump in this election. It, it essentially tells me that you don't care about people. You know, you don't care about humans. I normally wouldn't be that hard-lined about any of this stuff. And like, I do believe in having open conversations and listening to other people's points of view and whatever. But I do think the last few years, like we've all been kind of pushed to the brink. There's no both sidesing, you know, there's no both sidesing fascism. There's no yeah. both sidesing anti-Semitism and racism and stripping the rights of women and people with uteruses. There's no, I'm not, I, I'm not here for that. I can't, I can't be here for that. So anyway, we had like actually kind of an interesting conversation because then the husband was like, well, I think I'm just going to sit this election out. And I was like, that's actually not going to work for me either. Like you have to participate because you have to. And I'm sorry that it sucks for your wallet, but does it even? Because like how much money do you need? You know what I mean? And if the world ends, what is your money good for? Like, What if is it? To what yeah. end? Don't you yeah. get confused by these people? I grew up in a family that had a generation before had a lot of money and then lost it all before I was born. So there were some trappings of money and we were in we were on the outskirts of a neighborhood that where a lot of people had a lot of money, but I grew up without it. So my own issues with wealth and people with wealth are really f fraught. Like I have a, I've had to overcome because I now have friends that are wealthy people and they're not bad people. So I've had to just sort of figure out how not to dislike people just because they have money. Well, I totally, yes, it totally makes sense. I do think, <laughs> I'm whispering as if this isn't going to be on the podcast. <laughs> I do think that there might be a level at which it turns people. And it turns them in a way that is very difficult to recover. And certainly that's like nothing is an absolute. You know what I mean? But I do just feel like some people get to a level with so much money that they 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 lose perspective on life. Would you ever run for office? No. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> <Not> no. <laughs> I just you're so well spoken and passionate about Meh. this stuff. Yeah. Hey, this is Josh Modell, host of the TalkHouse podcast. We love it when musicians come on the show and talk about process, and often they'll get into the nuts and bolts of being a working artist, which can sometimes be fun and sometimes feel more like a business. Well, this episode of TalkHouse is brought to you by DistroKid, which is an amazing service for musicians looking to get their songs out into the world in an incredibly smart and cost-effective way. 
For the past decade plus, DistroKid has made it easy to get your music on all the streaming services, including Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Instagram, and more. You keep 100% of your earnings minus a flat yearly fee, which is a better deal than you'll find anywhere else. More than a million artists use DistroKid, and the latest version of their app is better than ever. It includes features that make it easy to see your account details, including the money you've earned, as well as to seamlessly edit things like lyrics and metadata across platforms. There's even a feature called Instant Share, which allows you to easily share files with your bandmates, booking agent, playlist curators, and more. DistroLock allows you to protect your songs. DistroKid users get a YouTube official artist channel, too. The list goes on. The DistroKid app is available on iOS and Android. Go check it out today. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. Politics is not what's interesting to me. I'm interested in how to make real substantive cultural change and the policy will follow and the politicians will follow. And that's what like our journey is, you and me, you know, like we're here to do the cultural shifts. And like, I'm grateful for my podcast now and what it's been able to be in the last couple of years, especially to our fans who have found us and, you know, are really engaged and tell us, we've heard from a lot of people like, you've encouraged me to have really difficult conversations with my family, with my sister, with my husband, and things are changing. And that's rad. Like, that's the point of people that call themselves storytellers. (laughs) (laughs) Being a person, you know, I hate that. That term is so I don't know, lame or whatever, but I guess it is really true. That is sort of what we are. Would you consider yourself a storyteller? It's funny. I I probably wouldn't have come up with it on my own, but in in my weird little roundabout three minute at a time way. Yeah, yeah. probably. And I dream of writing, you know, more and longer form fiction. Is that something you do? F- you fiction write fiction I, writing? I do. I really love. I really love it. But because it feels like a different exercise of the muscles I've been you know, building up since I was 15 years old writing songs. Your songs are like more fiction or more sort of autobiographical? I feel like they are fiction, but I feel like the ink I write them with is the, you know, my childhood traumas or whatever it is that makes us do the thing we do. But certainly I feel like in music, we're all kind of writing the same song over and over again. And mm-hmm. like the engine for our song is the same, regardless of who populates the world of the song. What What's your song? I've kind of narrowed it down to this uh, abandonment issues kind of thing where why, why do you keep leaving me? Um, like, I know you're going to leave. Why did you leave? It's, it's always about that. And I'm sure it, it goes to the, you know, broken home, it goes back to my dad disappearing and moving out and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's 90% of the songs are, you know, male, female love relationship stuff, but it's probably, I think all built on that very young version of me wondering, why are you leaving me? I was just thinking about the messenger and I was thinking about how that to me, when I've listened to that, like it feels so autobiographical. Like I, when I listen to those lyrics, I feel like this is you, not like your 
not like a character telling a story. Well, it's funny, John Bryan, when I was making The the uh, Instigator 20 years ago, um, John Bryan said something to me that I that kind of messed me up for a long time. He said, don't write autobiographical songs, which ironically, if you're familiar with John's yeah. unreleased <laughs> ma- masterpiece, Meaningless, it's wildly autobiographical. But maybe that's why he said it, because he felt like maybe that was his big mistake was writing stuff that was too autobiographical. So he told me, don't write autobiographical songs. Keep it universal. Keep it general. Don't drive people away with your, you know, diary song stories. And it took me decades to get over that. And I remember writing a song that was the opening track on the old 97s album, Most Messed Up. It's a song called Longer Than You've Been Alive. And it's this really long multiverse song. And it's super autobiographical. Like everything in it is very just like, I'm in this band. We've been a band for a really long time. This is what every day looks like. These are the hard things. These are the great things. And it was so cathartic, finally breaking this rule that I thought... I was not allowed to break because John Bryan knows everything, which right. probably does, but right. it did feel good. And and it's funny that you point out The Messenger, because I think that was the first solo record I made. And in those years after writing Longer Than You've Been Alive, I feel like I gave myself permission to do things that felt and could be perceived as more autobiographical. You know what comes up a lot on my uh, shuffle? Close most of the time. So I think that's where I'm t- what I'm talking about, that song. It fe- that song feels so autobiographical. It's like from f- when I was 15, I was here. When up from 25 to 29, I was making it. You know what I mean? Or whatever. Like I was I was miserable and yeah. then I was making it, and but I was miserable. <laughs> I really I am, by the way, I relate really deeply to it too. Because I also had like you that came to Hollywood. Thing. I came to Hollywood. I had a dream. I was making it. I was miserable. miserable. I had yeah. a person that didn't understand me. It was Aww. a bummer. Then you have a family. I mean, yeah. now I'm getting divorced, but that's a whole other story. It's fine. Ah, uh, I didn't know, Busy. Oh, I didn't okay. know. It's been, it's actually interesting. It's a pandemic divorce, which is great. A thing. Um, No, it is a thing. But like, I think Mark and I had spent a really long time before the pandemic, like figuring out what the next portion of our lives together looked like, you know? <coughs> and we like are super close and good friends. And like, then during the pandemic, we kind of were like, I think we, you know, we've just made this decision with our therapist. Sure. Let's, you know, let's separate. And then it was sort of like, honestly, a gift because we didn't have to tell anyone. Like, we didn't have to go anywhere or tell anyone, you know? And we were sort of still living in the same house with the kids, just trying to figure out what a new thing was. It's not to say that it's been without pain because anytime anything is like ending, you know, it can be really painful. Um, Well, you, you seem like you're doing really well. And yeah. that, sh- that shit is hard. Uh, do it's you hard. do you think like monogamy, like multi-year, multi-decade monogamy is like, is it really, a, does it work? I don't know. I used to think it did. I think it depends on who you are. I think that breaking myself of my own ingrained like patriarchal beliefs about what I needed to do and be as a person um, has been a process. And I think once I sort of shed all of that, I was like, oh, wait, did I ever want to be married? Like, do I ever want to be married again? Do I ever want that thing ascribed to me? Wherever I'm at in at any given moment, like having kids was something I wanted to do. Um, and I'm so glad that I had kids with Mark because 
it's the best it's the best version of things like I, I've met them and they are pretty extraordinary yeah they're great yeah. and he's a really good uh partner for me because we're very different and um we're able to sort of like balance each other's stuff out parenting wise and and who knows whatever life is long <laughs> life is long Life is long. That is part of it too, right? Like life is so long now. And I was I was 20 I was 27 when we got married. Which, which feels pretty married. young to me now. How old were you guys? 30 met, 32 married, 33 kid. Yeah. That's fast with the kid though. Once we had it figured out, I was like, let's just let's do this. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> well, I did cuz I had a baby immediately because honestly, the writers strike in LA. Oh, yes. It's so, so stupid. But it's true. Like, you have to, as an actor, I mean, you have to work around work. And so <laughs> I was like, the writer's strike was happening. They literally were like, it's going to be nine months to a year. I was like, great, let's just have a baby. Let's go. And we have that's, Birdie. That's so, so I was, funny. so I had just turned 29 and Little Bird came into the world and now Birdie's just the coolest. Is it weird having Birdie working now? Are they still working? Well, Birdie did uh, Gloria Calderon Kellett's TV show with love mm -hmm. um, recurring in the first year. That, that's like on Amazon Prime. Uh, yes, it's on Amazon. Yeah. I like have to keep my kids job straight. Um, <laughs> and then she, and then they're going back for the second season, just one episode. Um but Gloria and I went to college together at Loyola Marymount University. Like Birdie doesn't have like an agent or a manager. Or Birdie's okay. not like out there. You're not a stage mom. The, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, I'm actually not at all. I was so bored on set and I was like, do I have to be here? And they're like, yes, you legally have to be here, busy. I'm like, I know, but like, can I just like go and then I'll come back and like, she'll be fine, right? I'm like, no, you have to be here. Anyway, Birdie had a fun time though. Do you think for them acting is as easy as it was for you? Yes. Oh, that's so fun. You're so lucky. I think Birdie's better than I am. Truly. I was well, just saying this to someone today. Like and more what, talented. Oh. The, did the part she uh they played have to be more intense? I would just wanna just wanna say, because the pronouns Birdie now is like back to she, her, and oh, good. Okay. Them, and they them. So okay. we can do I sometimes I go back and forth. We can go back and forth. It's like Birdie's like, I don't I'm not fixated on the they them anymore. I've but, loved, by the way, how useful that is for young women, especially. And and when I've I had a psychiatrist describe to me that the pronouns, since that's been a thing, the incidences of cutting in in girls has gone down so much. It breaks my heart to think that that's even a thing. But it makes so much sense now that I'm the father of a 16-year-old girl and all of her friends. Like, when a woman looks like an adult and men start treating them like an adult and they're a fucking kid, it just, it's it's got to be the hardest time to be a human being in some ways. There was like a year and a half or something where Birdie did not want to be on my Instagram and that was fine mm. and I was fine with that and didn't, obviously didn't, I, my kids can dictate that, you know, I don't, that's a whole other thing. Like I started sharing my kids on Instagram, like before Instagram was really a thing. I hadn't even thought about it. Like, you know what I mean? And I'm grateful that so many other parents are in the public eye are able to have like real thought and consideration going into it. But I literally <laughs> thought it was like, I was like, this is just like for my friends. Right. And then all of a sudden it became something other than, but so I always ask my kids, 
if I can post a picture and I show them the picture and I tell them what the caption is going to be before I post it. But for a minute, Birdie was like, I don't want you posting those pictures of me because even your, um, I mean, even your like female followers, like they all sexualize me and it's really gross. I am, Mm. I'm 12 years old. Mm. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. That's, yeah, that's right. That's inappropriate. And I'm sorry that that happened. Well, I, I think you've done a great job. It obviously comes from a place of very much of love. And it seems like your kids are turning out pretty great. I mean, I think so. But, you know, <laughs> they're doing good. It's not without a lot of this past. Did you get the new 1975 album? No. That just came out? Do you like them? Yes. The first, uh, so- the first song on that album, uh-huh. it just came out last week, I think. Okay. I want to look and see what it's called. But the last, like, refrain of the song is... I'm sorry if you're living and you're 17. Oh. I'm sorry if you're living and you're 17. And he just keeps saying it over and over and over again. He name checks like QAnon and, you know, it's just really about what's what we've all been living through in the last several years. But just that to me, like your kids, yeah, my kid, my little one is a little bit, although she freaked out because... Last week she had a cough and she was like really panicked about school mm-hmm. and was like crying hysterically. And then we got to the core of it and she was like, I hate coughing at school because everyone looks at you. It's so hard to be a kid anyway, but a kid in a pandemic. I mean, but our kids, I just feel like like the little ones are fine, like because all they they don't care. They just want to be around their families anyway. Right. So those yep. couple, that like year and a half or whatever they're fine. But it's the kids that were like, I mean, honestly, like 11 to 25 that I'm just like, how do we make sure they're okay? I think my son is just, uh, I, uh, well, I think he's doing really well and he's off at school, but I do think all those kids that are his age that just went off to school, they are making the transition from two years of nothing to suddenly like all the freedom in the world at school. And it's a super big transition. And my daughter that's still home, she's so great busy. She's so, I mean, they both are, but um, she's a big uh, Taylor Swift fan. So Same. She's, yeah, me too. And I was telling Josh from TalkHouse earlier that I don't know if it's uh, Stockholm Syndrome or just it, she actually is great, but I'm a, I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I literally was like good friends with Jake when he was dating her. And I was like, I don't know what this means. I don't know what this person is. I was like, this is not for me. Like, I'm an old lady with a baby. But I, like, had no frame of reference for the music. I didn't know who she was. I, like, and I kind of stayed in that bubble until the last two years when Birdie found Taylor on her own, became totally obsessed, is, and then, and then I, do, I really do think it's, like, by proxy, I am now, like, She's on my playlist. I like, I love Taylor Swift. We're so excited about Midnight's Midnight's coming out. We already told Birdie she doesn't have to go to school on Friday (laughs) because it comes out at midnight and she's going to stay up all night. And then noon the next day, there's some chaos release that we don't. Soleil's like, I think she's going to drop all the tickets to all of our shows on the whole tour. Do you think? That's what she thinks. So she's like, Dad, you better be by the computer at 11 a.m. Central Time. I love that we both have been like, like brought into Taylor's world. You would like work with her. She would love you. 
Well, your lips to God's ears, Busy. Your lips to God's ears. Yeah, so Soleil told me, if you ever get to meet Taylor Swift, you better bring me with you. Yeah. Okay, so, um, but my question was this. You know her song, 15? I literally started crying to okay. it yesterday. Every time it's on, and now, they, now that crying. Soleil is 16, I thought it would end, but it didn't. And she'll make fun of me. It'll, it'll come on in the car and I'll be driving and I'll see her sneaking looks at me like, are you crying yet? What's the lyric that gets you? It's in the last verse when he uh-huh. took he took everything from her. And then, right? And then he... The, her best friend? Yeah, from her best friend. Yeah. And then he, he like basically... <laughs> like, guys, do you love this? <laughs> like, basically. So, so many people listening are like, what are these adult humans <laughs> talking about? I think people love Taylor though. Even Even people our age, right? I, you would think if they have kids, probably. And she gives her his. She gives up her virginity to this guy, and he's a jerk about it, and he doesn't call yeah. her back. Right. You Abigail about, gave everything she had to a boy who changed his mind, and we both cried. <sighs> I always cry when it's because when you're 15 and somebody tells you they love you, you're gonna believe them. I know, and it's. I can't. It's too good. She's so good. She's so good. Yeah. And it's her. I love her. that you're a fan. My friend Caitlin Rose, who's a great artist, who has a new record about to come out if you don't know her. But her mom, Liz, co-wrote a bunch of those early songs. And you would love you would love this story, and I'll probably butcher it. But Caitlin's mom, Liz, was married to this guy who was like a Nashville songwriter. And Liz was like a housewife just walking through the room as they're writing songs for like Taylor's first record. And Liz kept walking through going, you know, it'd be good if you just said, you know, and she would like have ideas. And finally, I guess Taylor Swift was like, you should just write songs with me. And Liz wrote like half the songs on her first two records. And oh now, <laughs> how great was that? <laughs> that could be us. That's amazing. <laughs> I feel like you got to you can make this happen. I feel this for you. Thanks. I feel this for you because you're a fan and you know the music. Yeah. And you're such a good songwriter. It's funny when she put out um, the she put out those two records, the folky records during yeah, the Evermore and Evermore and Cart, uh, folklore, pardon, folklore, and um, and the song Mirrorball. Soleil played I it for that. me. For, it's so good. Soleil played it for me the first time, and um, and I was like, that sounds like a Phoebe Bridger song because the vocals are doubled and it's got that really close, like almost a AMS, AMSR sounding vocal. And sure enough, turns out that she and Phoebe were collaborating. I wanted to ask you this because you are a musician. I was in my car so much in L.A. as a with young kids, you know, because that's what you do in L.A. is you're in your car all the time. And I was not the mom that was like just like putting on the pop music for the kids. I was only playing my music, even if they were like, I don't want to hear this. I'm like, well, it's my car, my rules, sorry, (laughs) you know. And so Brie was not exposed to pop music at all. It was indie stuff. You were played in the car. I mean, Grizzly Bear, a lot of beach house back in the day. And then somehow Birdie just like was able to cultivate her own sense of what was cool and like find new things in a way that just really feels authentic. You know what I mean? And I feel like it was like the best thing I did. Like, this is what I'm into. You don't have to be into it, but this is what I'm into. And it's not like just putting on the radio. The biggest thing in parenting, right, is modeling. We're we're modeling. Of course. So you're saying... I love music. I love music, which I know you do, like maybe more than anybody <laughs> I, I know. Do. 
And um, and you like have things you're passionate about and you're going to play the music and you're not always just deferring to the people that kind of, you know, like your kids. And boy, I've been asked over the years if I was going to make uh, children's music and nothing against people that do that. I've got a lot of friends actually that do that. But um, but oh, I, I loved that Dan Zane's album. I know. And he's great. Like when Birdie was a baby baby, I yeah, did well, play that Dan Zane's album. Yeah. I think I did a little bit when they were tiny because you can't play the cramps when they're babies. No, you really can't. Also, by the way, though, Birdie thought that Joanna Newsom was a children's artist. <laughs> that explains a lot. She was like, it's uh, that princess music. Will you play the, uh, play the uh, princess music? I'm like, Peach Plum Pear? That's Joanna Newsom, honey. That's not, it's not a Disney princess. But she like literally thought it was princess uh, music. Love that. I know. Oh, it's so good. But Wait, I interrupted you. Okay, no, keep going. Just people will say, are you going to make a kid's record? And I'll be like, well, I'm not a monster. So <laughs> no, of course I'm not going to make a kid's record. Although now that I'm older and I've got two kids about to about to have two kids in college simultaneously, I'm thinking, God, maybe I got to do a fucking kid's record, make some money. Is that the where the money is? Maybe. These are the, well, I mean, it's certainly more than alt country legends or whatever I'm, okay, I am okay. now. Okay, to be fair. The money's in the podcasts, right? You just have to check in and see where your checks are. Oh, that's a great idea. My producers are so mad at you right now. <laughs> we, I self-produce our podcast and we do it ourselves and we hired an independent ad sales person and we like, it's great. We love it. Well, you, you seem like you have your shit together. You seem like you've like, <laughs> that's going to be on all, your, yeah, okay. on your tombstone. She, she definitely seems, seems. She seems like she has her shit together. <laughs> you make things happen. Like you always have. Yeah, that's true. And so, yeah, it makes sense that you would be able to produce your own podcast and find the right people to do the right things to make it all happen. I also have a really great partner. Wait, so you're going back, you're touring more? Oh, yeah. I mean, it never ends. It's it's like the Bob Dylan, the never ending tour. I um, 97 just did three weeks. Oh, my God. And busy. We... Um, we had to go in a van because there is a tour bus shortage in the United States right now. And it was a disaster. Like every band that had put off their tour, rescheduled, rescheduled, we got, uh, and the buses broke down and nobody fixed them during the pandemic. So there's fewer buses and they had all been booked for three straight years. And so we were in a van as if it was 1997. That sounds actually terrible. It was actually terrible. Well, imagine your drummer is cranky and he's six inches in front of you and your bass player is eating with his mouth open. Why couldn't you guys just get like a couple drivers and a couple vans? <laughs> I know you want to keep the costs down. I get it. Eh. However, I would have gone like Airstream trailer. In retrospect, you might be right. But most of the drives were manageable and it was fine. I almost did the thing that I remember uh, Frank Black, Charles Thompson Black Francis doing back in the day where the Pixies would go on tour towards the end of the first round of the Pixies. And mm -hmm. he would travel along behind the band in his car like they'd be in a bus and he'd just be driving along behind him in his big, you know, convertible or whatever. Crazy I would car. do that 100 percent. I wouldn't want to be on a bus. I would get I bet you I would get sick on a bus. I get boat sick. Yeah, I've recently started getting boat sick too. And we're going on the Outlaw Country cruise in February. And I don't know how that's going to work out. Oh my gosh. Oh, I don't love a cruise. And I never used to be like that. And we were in Hawaii last summer and we went out on one of those boats in choppy waters to look at the cliffs in Kauai. And I spent the whole time on the back and I kept looking. And, and this is kind of a dark observation because I, as a teenager, did go through 
a really self-destructive period that went actually till I was about 40. <laughs> but um, no, but I, but as a teenager, I had a, you know, at a suicide attempt, I had some really dark times, but I, I'm not kidding when I say I was looking over the back of that boat in Kauai at the choppy waters. And I was maybe three hours into the most violent seasickness I'd ever had. And I was looking at the water behind the boat going, I could just jump off into the ocean and end it. Like it would be a mercy at that point. So yeah, I don't know if that happens on this seven day cruise and you never well, hear from me again. Here's, no, don't jump off a cruise. You don't want to. That's not how you want to go. No, it's not how you want to go. You have kids. You, you can't do it. I you would never. I, I know never. you wouldn't. I've got to get back to this tour more. Do you drink or not drink? I seven and a half years sober. You're sober. Okay. From booze and weed. Well, and I guess everything. But those were the two things I had problems with. Or no problem with, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I have no problem with them currently. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I get it. Um, wait, because I was going to say, if you drink, you can't do that anti-nausea medicine. Yeah. But I think you can do, I think if you don't, since you're sobs, I think you can just do it. The anti-nausea I'll do all this stuff. And I got one of those bands that sends electric shocks through your jugular vein or whatever. Sure. They advertised (laughs) on my podcast for a while. Nice. (laughs) Did you have to do like casual, casual sounding reads? If you get motion sickness like I do sometimes. Well, we do. We do our own reads. Um, That's part of the deal with our ad sales. And I love it. We don't advertise for anything that they don't first send us and we try and I and we like. Okay. So like it goes through like this actual real vetting process. And like, did you see that weird drink I was just drinking this thing? Yeah. What is that? That's they advertise on my podcast. Charcoal water. No, it's called AG1. I am a really great seller of things on my podcast in those host read ads because I like genuinely love the stuff that advertises That's, on our podcast. Did you try better help? We did have better help. I mean, I didn't try it, but I'm a big believer in therapy. So They're in general. So yeah, I have like, my own therapist, so I don't yeah. I don't personally need better help right now because yeah, yeah. I have my therapist that I love. So but funny. if I needed one, I would definitely go for better help. <laughs> I'm sure the talk house folks love that we're just bringing up advertisements. <laughs> I have people that come up to me sometimes and they're like, oh my God, I love your podcast so much. And you know what I got really into because of your podcast? And then they name some like product and I'm like, yeah, I know. It's great. huh? I don't but, mind like the, I don't mind like, like leaning into the, um, commerce. The, yeah. I was going to say the consumerism of our, of our current capitalist. Bullshit I mean, you got, society. We got because, kids. Yeah, I got to pay for these kids. I live in New York now. This place is very expensive. I don't know if you know. Oh, my God. The only I, you know what? I'm going to have to start listening to your podcast just because I, I love listening to you talk and you make me laugh. The only oh one gosh. I listen to is uh, this fantasy football podcast, but only because I got roped into these dumb leagues, one of which is with Rain Wilson. And um, it was the first year of that league last year. And I won the league. Not to brag. This is the oh only podcast where, where people are going to cry about a Taylor Swift lyric and then brag about a fantasy football championship. I mean, you guys, we literally shed tears over Taylor Swift. All the extremes. <laughs> all the extremes. <laughs> you know what, though? Like Ralph Waldo Emerson and I say, a bitch contains multitudes. Hell yeah. I think that is probably a great place for us to wrap it up, Busy. <laughs> I love talking to you. Thank you so much. For- I love talking to you, Rhett. Right- 
Thanks for listening to the TalkHouse podcast, and thanks to Busy Phillips and Brett Miller for chatting. If you liked what you heard, please follow TalkHouse and Wheels Off, and Busy Phillips is doing her best, on your favorite podcasting platform. This episode was produced by Myron Kaplan, and the TalkHouse theme is composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.